I'd like to welcome you to the house of the Lord this morning. Glad to see our world travelers are back. And ask for prayers for uh, the Kenny and Kay. They're off somewhere, don't know where, but uh, they're gone traveling. And uh, the Tibbetts family will be traveling to Independence this week. And Pat and I, we're heading for Amarillo in the morning, so we'd appreciate your prayers for each one of these people. Uh, is there any more announcements? Class tonight? Don't know. SCD reunion starts Friday evening down in Blackcomb. Did y'all hear that? Reunion, what? Reunion starts this Friday down in Blackcomb campus. Friday, Blackcomb. Reunion. Is it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday? It's Friday through Sunday. Friday through Sunday. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's open our service with a stand and sing 107, and Brother Roger will offer our invocation. 107. I think each of us in here know about Alex. You know, he studied all the days of his life for this time, this hour he's got before him right today. And when we listen to him talk, listen to him preach, ask, answer questions, you know that, that it didn't happen overnight. And so we all need to be thankful for people that have put that kind of time in to be able to stand up here and uh, bring to us words of revelation, words of warning, and uh, words of praise. So uh, let's be prayerful for our brother this morning. Thank you. 
Samantha, will you be doing the ministry of music, or I'm just going into the sermon here? Okay. Okay, I just need to know. Thank you. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Amos, the third chapter, the fourth through the eighth verses. And then the seventh and familiar, I trust we are all familiar with. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people be not afraid? Shall there be evil in a city? And the Lord hath not known it. Surely the Lord God will do nothing until he revealeth the secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken. Who can but prophesy? May the Lord Jesus add his blessing to the reading of his words. The ladies are going to sing for us this morning.
Thank you, sisters, for that beautiful ministry of music. I feel that it is quite appropriate for both the theme that we have behind us here on the the billboard, but I admit I'm not following the suggested theme, but I will be following a theme that was requested of our apostle here, Roger Tracy, a while back, and when an apostle requests something, you know, you really don't have much choice but to do it. And then he specifically requested that Betty and Myra hear it, and I was kind of wondering about if they would make it here this morning given their travels, but here in the past few minutes, you know, I saw them coming and I thought, okay, they're here. I take this as the Lord's son that, yes, he wants them to hear this. And so with that being said, you know, well, we're just going to launch into our sermon this morning. This morning, in case you haven't figured out from the scripture reading, we were viewing the twin topics of prophets and prophecy with a special emphasis towards the prophecies that have been given and revealed to our Latter-day Prophets, either through translated revelation or through their own prophetic insights. But before we dive into those prophecies, we will be examining what prophets are, how the Lord calls them, and what their true functions really are. Based off of my research of some internet articles regarding the prophets of God and their attributes in the Bible, the defining traits of prophets stood out to me. They claim their commission from God, they preach against sin, and call men to exercise faith and repentance in God, they are despised and rejected by their contemporaries, they have no personal mission or ambition besides fulfilling the Lord's work in their lives, they declare the word of the Lord without fear, they reveal or they make known things which were previously unknown, and last but most certainly not least, they accurately predict future events often failing to see their fulfillment in their own lifetimes. Adam, the man, the first man that God created upon the earth, was also the first prophet upon the earth. However, you will only know this if you read the inspired version, because the King James Version contains no reference of Adam serving as a prophet. Instead, the first name prophet in the King James Version and other related versions is his descendant Enoch, descendant Enoch who we'll be getting to here in a bit. Adam received his prophetic commission in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 13, which say, And Adam was obedient unto the commandments of the Lord. And after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared to Adam, saying, Why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said unto him, I know not, save the Lord commanded me. And then the angel spake, saying, this thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore, thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son forevermore. And in that day, the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, which beareth record of the Father and the Son, saying, I am the only begotten of the Father from the beginning, henceforth and forever. And in that day... And as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed, and all mankind, even as many as will. And in that day Adam blessed God, and was filled, and began to prophesy concerning all the families of the earth, saying, Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression my eyes are opened, and in this life I shall have joy, and again in the flesh I shall see God. And Eve his wife, heard all these things and was glad, saying, Were it not for our transgression, 
we should have never had seed, and never should have known good and evil, and the joy of our redemption, and the eternal life which God maketh unto all the obedient. And Adam and Eve blessed the name of God, and they made all things known to their sons and daughters. And Satan came among them, saying, I am also a son of God. And he commanded them, saying, Believe it not. And they believed it not. And they loved Satan more than God. And men began from that time forth to be carnal, sensual, and devilish. As we can see here with Adam, he was already being several criteria of the prophetic archetype, such as being called of God, calling men to have faith and repentance, and being rejected as a prophet by his own children. Towards the end of his earthly life, we find another instance of Adam serving as a prophet. In this case, it matters similar to our church's practice of patriarchal blessings. It was the first recorded instance of patriarchal blessings in the scriptures, although as you read it here, it is implied that he had already given some before this time. From Dr. Covenant section 104, verses 28 and 29. Three years previous to the death of Adam, he called Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch, and Methuselah, who were all high priests with the residue of his posterity, who were righteous, into the valley of Adam on the Amon, and there bestowed upon them his last blessing. The Lord appeared unto Adam, and they rose up and blessed Adam, and called him Michael, the prince, the archangel. And the Lord ministered comfort unto Adam, and said unto him, I have set thee to be at the head. A multitude of nations shall come of thee, and thou art a prince over them forever. And Adam stood up in the midst of the congregation, and notwithstanding he was bowed down with age, being full of the Holy Ghost, predicted whatsoever should befall his posterity down to the latest generation. These things were all written in the book of Enoch and are to be testified of in due time. So again, we can see that God called and used prophets from the beginning. Just as he used them in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, as well as the Book of Mormon, and that he continues to use them even today. God does not change. If he has used prophets at one point in history, that he must use them in other parts of history. He cannot just only use them once here or once there. It must be continuous, or he becomes a changeable being, and he would cease to be God. Later on in Genesis, we find that God calls Enoch to be both a prophet and a seer, which, as we shall see here, involves a bit more than just being a prophet. And what's more, Enoch, like his ancestor Adam, was also a dispensational prophet. And if you watched Gary Argusinger's sermon at conference, you would know a bit about what a dispensational prophet is. And so if you haven't watched it already, I encourage you to pull, up, pull it up on your computer. From Genesis chapter 7, verses 27 through 41. Chapter 6, 27, 41. And he heard a voice from heaven saying, Enoch, my son, prophesy unto this people and say unto them, Repent, for thus saith the Lord, I am angry with his people, and my fierce anger is kindled against them, for their hearts have waxed hard, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes cannot see afar off. And for these many generations, even since the day that I created them, have they gone astray, have denied me, and have sought their own counsels in the dark, and in their own abominations have they devised murder, and have not kept the commandments which I gave unto their father Adam. Wherefore, 
they have forsworn themselves, and by their oaths they have brought upon themselves death. And a hell I have prepared for them, if they repent not. And this is the decree which I have sent forth at the beginning of the world, from my own mouth, from the foundation thereof. And by the mouths of my servants, of thy fathers, have I decreed it, even as it shall be sent forth in the world unto the end thereof. And when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and spake before the Lord, saying, Why is it that I have found favor in thy sight? And am but a lad, and all the people hate me, where and I am slow of speech. Wherefore am I thy servant? And the Lord said unto Enoch, Go forth, and do as I have commanded thee, and no man shall pierce thee. Open thy mouth, and it shall be filled. For all flesh is in my hands, and I will do as seemeth me good. Say unto this people, Choose ye this day to serve the Lord God who made you. Behold, my spirit is upon you, wherefore all thy words will I justify. And the mountains shall flee before you, and the rivers shall turn from their course. And thou shalt abide in me, and I in you. Therefore walk with me. And the Lord spake unto Enoch, and said unto him, Anoint thine eyes with clay, and wash them, and thou shalt see. And he did so. And he beheld the spirits that God had created. He beheld also things which were not visible to the natural eye. And from thenceforth came the saying abroad in the land, A seer hath the Lord raised up unto his people. And it came to pass that Enoch went forth in the land among the people, standing upon the hills and the high places, and cried with a loud voice, testifying against their works. And all men were offended because of him, and they came forth to hear him upon the high places, saying unto the tent keepers, Tarry ye here and keep the tents, while we go yonder to behold the seer, for he prophesieth. And there is a strange thing in the land, a wild man hath come among us. And it came to pass that when they had heard him, no man laid hands on him, for fear came on all them that heard him, for he walked with God. The reason that Enoch is referred to as a seer here, as you might have guessed, is because Enoch personally saw things which were naked to the natural eye and saw the events of the future rather than just predicting them, as was the case with Adam. And because Enoch was the first to see spiritual things in this manner, he was accordingly dubbed the first seer. Interestingly for us, the Hebrew language has two different words for seer and prophet, with the word prophet being navi, which means one who announces what is coming. The Hebrew word for seer is chose, which means one who sees what is coming. Relatedly, the word navi is more common than the word chose, suggesting that seers are rarer and provide a higher caliber of ministry than prophets do. In the Old Testament inspired version, we find the translation of prophet or some variant of it 329 times, where we'll only find the word seer 46 times again confirming that seers operate on a higher plane than simple prophets do, if there can even be such a thing as a simple prophet. <laughs> the Book of Mormon, these people understood this difference between seers and prophets, as we can see in this exchange here between Ammon and King Limhi in Mosiah chapter 5, starting at verse 64. And this is really good stuff here if you haven't 
thought about this way. And for testimony of these things that they have said are true, they have brought tw 24 gold plates, which are filled with engravings, and they are of pure gold. And behold, also, they have brought breastplates, which are large, and they are of brass and of copper, and are perfectly sound. And again, they have brought swords, the hills thereof have perished, and the blades thereof were cankered with rust, and there is no one in the land able to interpret the language or the engravings that are on the plates. Therefore, I said unto thee, Canst thou translate? And a four, and I say unto thee again, Knowest thou of anyone that can translate? For I'm desirous that these records should be translated into our language. For perhaps they will give us a knowledge of a remnant of the people who have been destroyed from whence these records came. Or perhaps they will give us a knowledge of this very people who have been destroyed. And I'm desirous to know the cause of their destruction. Now Ammon said unto them, I can't surely tell thee, O king, of a man that can translate the records, for he has the wherewith that he can look, and translate all records that are of ancient date. It is a gift from God. And the things are called interpreters, and no man can look in them, except he be commanded, lest he should look for that he ought not, and he should perish. And whosoever is commanded to look in them, the same is called seer. Behold, the king of the people who is in the land of Zarahemla, is the man that's commanded to do these things, and who has this high gift from God. And the king said, that a seer is greater than a prophet. And Ammon said, that a seer is a revelator, and a prophet also, and a gift which is greater can no man have, except he should possess the power of God, which no man can, yet a man may have great gifts given him from God. But a seer can know things which have passed, and also which are things which are to come. And by them shall all things be revealed, or, rather, shall secret things be made manifest, and hidden things shall come to light, and things which are not known shall be made known by them. And also, things shall be made known by them which otherwise could not be known. Thus God has provided means that man, through faith, might work mighty miracles, therefore, he becometh a great benefit to his fellow beings. As we can see from this passage, even the wicked Lamanites understood the difference between seers and prophets, and Ammon provided a moving explanation of how seers are called and how they differ from prophets in their office. The fact that distinct words are used for both prophets and seers, and how they are explained in the manner in which we expect from someone fluent in the Hebrew language to do so, is further evidence that Joseph Smith, Jr., a backwater farm boy from upstate New York with a third grade education, could not possibly have made this up on his own, but that he had only done what he did, claimed it with his dying breath. That is, he had translated the records of an ancient Hebrew people he had once lived upon the American continent. This is also where we gain the understanding of what a revelator is and how it's tied to being a seer and how they function. And this is where we get the first understanding of having a prophet, seer, and revelator, which is what we refer to as the presence of the church today. Returning to the biblical Old Testament, we find the numerous prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others foretelling of the coming of the Messiah who redeemed his people Israel. Since these prophecies were all given several hundred years before the birth of Christ, many of their peers openly mocked them and felt that these prophecies could not be fulfilled. 
since they had been given for years and they had not come true. To this, the prophet Isaiah lamented in Isaiah 53. Again, a passage of scripture I trust we are all familiar with. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we his that were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he openeth not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The prophets of the Old Testament, however, would have the last laugh as Jesus Christ in his ministry fulfilled no less than 356 prophecies of the Old Testament, all according to the divine design of his heavenly Father. Jesus even told his followers in Matthew 5, 19 and 20 in the Sermon on the Mount, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, heaven and earth must pass away. But one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Since it is clear that in ancient times, prophecies could take time to be fulfilled, even after their speaker's mortal demise. I trust that we shall see the same pattern play out concerning prophecies which have been given to us Latter-day Saints. In the days of Joseph Smith, Jr., he foretold of times when there would be wars and rumors of wars, to the point where all the nations of the earth would be engulfed in a state of war. In particular, he foresaw that war would be had between the northern states and the southern states, beginning with an incursion at South Carolina, and the southern states calling upon Great Britain for assistance, and that from that point the whole world would be at war with one another. In the time shortly after this prophecy was given, the state of South Carolina was in conflict with President Andrew Jackson and certain domestic policies of his, 
which some strongly believed at the time would spill out into a hot war. But when the conflict was ultimately resolved without bloodshed, many of Joseph's tractors mocked him and branded him a false prophet who didn't know what he was talking about. But again, the prophet would have the last laugh. In the year 1861, nearly 17 years following the martyrdoms of Joseph and Hiram Smith, Confederate forces opened fire on the Union Fort Sumter, began the American Civil War, which would last for four years, and to this day remains the single deadliest conflict in American history. Also, just as predicted, the Southern states petitioned the state of Great Britain for assistance. And finally, and this is especially interesting in light of Joseph's prophecy, the American Civil War is widely regarded in military and historical circles as the first truly modern war from which modern practices of warfare were introduced and practiced, and that in many ways laid the groundwork for the wars of the 20th and 21st centuries, starting with World War I in 1914, and that in the, the century of the 20th century, over one million people would die in wars in both active combat as well as civilian casualties. So again, you know, it sounds like these prophet things, these prophets really know what they're talking about when God tells them to give a message to the people. Let's consider another prophecy given through Joseph. Joseph also prophesied that the Jews would return to their ancient covenant lands in the immediate future, as expressed in both his revelations and our doctrine covenants as well as no less than three different places in the Book of Mormon, stating that once this book came forth, the Jews would begin to return to the land of their inheritance, and that Lebanon would become fruitful and wet once more, as prophesied in the Old Testament by Isaiah in chapter 29. Once again, many of his contemporaries rejected this prophecy on the grounds that it could not be fulfilled. Following the driving of the Jews from Jerusalem in AD 70, the land of Israel had been completely barren and devoid of rain and water. However, starting in the 18, late 1800s, things would begin to change. From the period of 1861 through 1901, the annual average rainfall in the land of Israel increased from 21.84 inches a year to 29.3 inches a year, an average increase of nearly 8 total inches, which is a very significant amount of water. About this same time when this was happening, the Jews began returning to the Holy Land in modest amounts, gradually increasing with each passing decade. Finally culminating in the establishment of a Jewish state in 1948 and the return of the control of Jerusalem to the Jews in 1967 following the Six Days War. And today, more Jews live in the nation of Israel, that little country about the size of our New Jersey, than live in all the other countries of the world combined. Isn't that something? And as a side note, the President of the United States in office at the time Israel was established, like the modern state of Israel, was Harry Truman, a lifelong native of Independence, Missouri, the city that Joseph said would be the center place of Zion on this continent. I am sure that this is purely a coincidence. But in case that you think prophecy or prophesying and being mocked by their contemporaries when their prophecies don't happen immediately is something that happened like thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. But you know that doesn't really happen today, you know, in 2021. Just think about the case of Brother Fred Larson. Brother Larson, despite being called of God by a body of his saints formed through the direction of the scriptures and the historical president, precedent of the earliest church, in addition to being the C. of Joseph Smith, Jr., was widely rejected and ridiculed in his ministry 
by those of our cousins in the Restoration Branch movement. Despite this, however, the Lord spoke through Brother Larson many times and shared with him many prophecies. But this morning we will just be considering this following one in its fulfillment already. And then this is from section 157, 16. You desire my kingdom on the earth, even Zion, and I have accomplished many good things in righteousness and temporalities. But you, my remnant saints, have been warned about the coming tribulations and now need to be further strengthened spiritually for that which is to come. The secular world is closing in around you. Soon you will lose many freedoms, not only in your daily lives, but even in your worship. Be aware and stand strong in your convictions. Let not the wiles of the adversary overcome you. Put on the whole armor of God. But even in these turbulent times, take comfort and be of good cheer. For in my gospel found peace, comfort, and joy. Lo, I am with you always. This prophecy was given in the year 2013, seven years before it was fulfilled last year in 2020, with the various lockdowns and changes to society that we have witnessed take place over the last several months. And I'm sure we all still remember not being able to worship here in this sanctuary for several months, and then when we were finally able to, having many of our pews sectioned off with tape because we weren't allowed to. The number seven is very significant here. Who here knows what the number seven means in Hebrew? Perfection. Perfection. Fulfillment. And they're kind of the same thing here. The number seven in Hebrew refers to completion and perfection, like Parker said, and especially spiritual perfection, like he said, and the fulfillment of God's promises and prophecies. I do not believe as a coincidence that this prophecy was fulfilled in the seventh year after it was given to us. It is also interesting to note that Brother Larson, the servant through whom this prophecy was given, returned home to paradise one year earlier in 2019, the sixth year after it was given. The number six in Hebrew, among other things, represents man in spiritual imperfection. So, in other words, the servant or the man that God used to deliver this message to us was returned home to him in the year of man and the last year before it became perfect. And again, this particular prophecy again confirmed to the pattern that a prophet would be gone before it was fulfilled, which happened with Brother Larson leaving us when he did. And actually the time that he left us allows us to have the maximum amount of time left with him that God could give us before he, the Lord intended for the prophecy to be fulfilled. I'm sure that if he had lived through it, he probably would have had some thoughts about his mockers and detractors out, outside the remnant church who said, oh, that's crazy Fred Larson, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He may not have been able to resist the temptation to go, I told you so. But we'll never know. <laughs> now, I know I said this several weeks ago in a Wednesday night prayer service, but let me repeat this challenge again here. The first restorationist, meaning like someone in the restoration branch movement or kind of thereabouts, to say that Fred Larson was the Lord's prophet, not just, you know, he was a prophet or, you know, he was a, a man who kind of says some right things now and then kind of predicted some things, but the prophet. I will give them a $50 bill, a Ulysses S. Grant. Thus far, I haven't had any takers, but I hope that will change soon, but we'll see. Some final thoughts before we leave this morning. With the prophecy of the Old Testament, it took several centuries after their lives before their major prophecies of Christ's coming were fulfilled. With Joseph Smith, Jr., some of his major prophecies took a few decades to a little over a century after his death to be fulfilled 
with the civil war and the restoration of Israel as a country. But with the case of Brother Fred Larson, his most outstanding prophecy was fulfilled before even one year of his death had been completed. Because it was pretty much fulfilled beginning in March of 2020, and he died in April 2019, so not even one whole calendar year. With signs like these and the fulfillment of prophecy rapidly increasing by every passing day, who among us can possibly deny that we are living in the last days? And that the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh, even at the threshold of our door. As we go forth from here this day, may we do so with a newer, ever stronger zeal to be earnestly engaged in our Lord's worth and the bringing forth of his Zion and the reestablishment of the house of Israel. Thank you, saints. we could wrap our minds around all the information he gave us this morning, we uh, could teach a pretty good class, couldn't we? Thank you a lot, sonny boy. Appreciate you. I said no class tonight. You, you know for sure, Steve, or you just you have to wait and call or what? Okay. Let's open our hymnals to 557, and Brother Jim will offer the benedictory prayer. 557.